As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. Well, we've made it. This is the final interview of season two, where we've been exploring humanity's ancient and sacred relationship with plants. And today, we're going to veer just a bit outside of the plant kingdom to talk about fungi. Obviously, I could do an entire season about fungi, and probably will sometime in the future. But today, we're going to talk about a very specific mushroom that many of our ancestors would have been familiar with. Amanita muscaria, or sometimes referred to as the fly agaric. If you can't quite place it when I call it by name, you certainly know it by sight. It has a brilliant red cap with white spots. It's the Mario Brothers mushroom, the Santa Claus mushroom, and it's the mushroom Alice in Wonderland eats to fall down the rabbit hole. It's lived in our collective consciousness as the home of fairies and magical creatures for thousands of years. But do a quick Google search of the Amanita, and while you might be charmed, you'll also be certainly warned of this mushroom's toxicity. Over and over again on websites and in field guides, it's noted as dangerous, poisonous, and toxic. But why? It's well known and documented to have been used in religious ceremonies for 4,000 years. 4,000 years! Don't you think people would have stopped using it long before then if it was a deadly poison? Or is it really our minds that have been poisoned about this gentle and loving fungi spirit? That's what we're going to discuss on today's episode. My guest today is Amanita Dreamer. And while you might have guessed that that's not the name on her driver's license, it is the name the mushrooms gave her and the one she uses publicly, which is so, so fitting to the work she and this mushroom have been doing together. The Amanita mushrooms seem to have enlisted her as their personal PR agent to help fix some of the bad press they've been subject to over the years. And if you ask her, it's not a job she would have willingly signed up for before meeting these mushroom elders. Amanita Dreamer suffered from severe anxiety, panic attacks, and was on benzodiazepines for 10 years until she met the Amanita muscaria mushrooms and they saved her life. She's since developed a thorough and robust knowledge base for their safe use in the healing of trauma, anxiety, and panic attacks. She's also an advocate for working with this mushroom to connect with the wisdom of the earth and our ancestors via her many vlogs on AmanitaDreamer.net. And she's going to be here in Kalispell, Montana on July 8th to host an Amanita Muscaria ceremony here on the land where I live. As of the recording of this episode, there are still a few spots available around our ceremonial bonfire. So if you feel the mushrooms calling to you, check out the link in the show notes to sign up and join us. And with that... Please enjoy this conversation with Amanita Dreamer. Welcome, Amanita Dreamer, to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so excited to have you join us today and talk about this beautiful being. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I love doing podcasts. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, I know there's a lot of people that are excited to hear our conversation and hear from you. And we're coming up on the very end of a season here with the podcast where we've actually been going really deep on plant partnerships. We haven't talked about mushrooms and fungi kingdom very much, but I'll ask you what I've been asking and all of the other guests this season, which is tell me an early memory that you have 
With a plant. With a plant, I remember being around afraid people always saying, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. And then on the other hand, I grew up with grandparents who grew their own food. I had these two sides. And so what I learned from that was if it's cultivated by humans in rows, it's safe. If it's in the wild, it's going to be dangerous. Don't touch it. And then I went to a camp, like this little summer camp that I begged to go to. And all we did was go on trails and hikes. And I just wanted to touch everything. And they were like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And I never really learned anything about the wildness. You know, it was always a city girl and always around carefulness, coordinatedness and structure. And so anything wild felt chaotic and scary, but I never forgot that camp. And every time my life got fearful, for some reason, I just wanted to go back to the woods. And I wondered what was wrong with me that I longed for something so terrifying and dangerous. That's so beautiful. And I think the story that so many people have from their childhoods, especially, you know, that the adults around us didn't have any understanding either of the wild or the wilderness or the forest or the plants that could be found. And so it was easier to say, stay away than to let children explore. So I think we're going to get into that a little bit more a little bit later, I think, but, you know, I do want to bring it back to the Amanita muscaria and really just ask, you know, how did you meet this mushroom? How did you come to be acquainted with it? Well, I know now that I am neurodivergent, that I'm autistic. So now I understand why I never had a day in my life free of anxiety to the point of just disassociating most of the time to cope and living in a constant state of just trauma and survival. I thought everybody lived like that. And the older I got, the more responsibilities I had, the worse it got. And the more isolated I became and the more terrified I got of just being alive and being around people. And the more I worried about my abilities to survive, being a single mom didn't help. I mean, that's just hard. And full-time work, the exhaustion, living in a capitalistic society and medications not working and wondering what's wrong with me and all that stuff. And so once Hurricane Katrina happened and I realized I couldn't feed my children, like that was the moment where I just lost cabin pressure. And I sat in the heat on the front steps of my brand new middle income house in a suburb that most people would look at that house and say, well, it must be nice. And my curtains match the carpet and the tile was new and shiny. And my children are sweltering in the heat, crying because they're hungry and I can't feed them. And I'd paid all my insurance. I've never missed a payment. I paid my taxes. There was no FEMA. There was no help. Nobody was coming. And I would take them in the car with what little gas I had to this one church that was feeding people and stand in a long line and get meals and not eat and feed them the extra and then scroll away the bread and give it to them for breakfast, knowing it was going to be 24 hours before I could take them back there again to get them a meal. And I had always been the giver. It was so weird to be the taker. It was horrifying to realize that we lived in such a thin line no matter who you are and where you live, you are such a thin line away from death. If you don't learn to have some resources and learn to be self-reliant in some capacity and make friends with your neighbors and learn how to work cooperatively. So that's when I lost cabin pressure, but I had no idea what was about to come. The years of fighting to get any money back, you know, get help from FEMA, get help from anywhere I could get it and just watching my life fall apart, not being able to recover and relocating broke and in debt and then having to file bankruptcy and go to food banks and living like that. It's just the toll it took on me and then being non-functional in panic and having to get on benzodiazepines. And I was a good case for it. I mean, if ever there was a case to prescribe a medication like that, I was begging him to put me in a medical coma. Like I would have taken anything. 
regardless of the side effects. And it was just so nice to be out of that level of pain and trauma that I didn't care what I was taking. But, you know, they're destructive. And the the dementia that set in was scary. And I talk about it on my channel. And, you know, I have my story and how terrifying it was to become a burden to my children. And after five years being on them, it was hurting my vision and, and my bowels and my gut. And I was getting shingles over and over and over. And I didn't have health insurance. Couldn't afford that. So, I mean, I mostly just, I couldn't go to the doctor. I couldn't care for myself. I couldn't do much of anything. It was just hell and trying to get off of them, you know, for five years and the sheer hell that that is that that protracted withdrawal, the pain and the nightmarish never sleeping and, you know, the constant sleep and never knowing what you're seeing, if it's a dream or not a reality or not, because, you know, the sleep deprivation and you get narcoleptic or you start seeing shit, like you don't know what's real and everything hurts. It's awful. And I don't understand now how I lived five years on it, but five years trying to come off of it and that sheer hell. And I had people write to me and go, how did you do it? I was in that hell for 24 hours, you know, and went back up on it. Or I was in that hell for two weeks until I got on another, like, how did you live for five years? And people have called me a liar and said that I'm making it up because nobody could function like that. And I'm like, I don't blame you. Like, I don't know how I did it either, except one day at a time. And of course, if you can't live with it and you can't live without it and you're burned to your children, you're going to wind up going in an institution in your freaking forties. Like, wow, that's not living. And it made me suicidal, but nobody would have blamed me for being suicidal. But I hear from other people that coming off benzos made them suicidal too. There's something inherent in losing the function of those GABA receptors that makes you hate yourself and hate life and not have that drive to be alive anymore. There's something in that system that controls. I never knew that was a thing. I took for granted that I want to be alive. I thought it was instinct that you fight for your survival. It's a chemical reaction. It's in your body. You're made that way. It's a specific thing. And there are receptors that control that. And I've since learned that about Amanita and that, you know, Amanita is the opposite. It's the life mushroom. So I was suicidal. I planned my death. I mean, I did everything right to plan it, you know, legally get everything in line, make sure nobody would find my body, except people who are trained to find it, said goodbye to my children, but they didn't know I was saying goodbye to them, making sure that the law was going to make sure that my will was handled carefully. Like it was planned. I set the date and was very relieved. Like I truly just cried out of relief when all the plans were done that I was really on that path. I was really on my way out. Like I was done here. And I tell this story on other podcasts and I say to myself this thing, right? So y'all can listen to other podcasts. But now I know, now, and I'm saying this here, now I know it was the Amanita that was not far away from me in that moment that I know now about the way that they fruit had fruited the night before. And I woke up that morning. It wasn't there the day before. And I woke up with my coffee and I sat down and I was looking around happy that tomorrow was the day I would get to leave. And I know her voice now. And she said, you should know the planet you're leaving. You should know the planet you're leaving. You should come to me. You should come to me. I was like, oh, okay. So I went and put some shoes on and I went to walk out in the woods and there was this mushroom, really brightly colored mushroom. (laughs) My God, what the hell is that? And I didn't walk any further. I picked it, went home, looked it up, found out that, well, the same thing everybody else gets, you know, the deadly, poisonous, toxic, don't touch. If it's red, that's nature's way of saying don't touch, which by the way, is not true. And then I looked in the research because I am a scientist by trade and training. And I went to the research and found out it was a GABA agonist. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is nature's answer to the fight or flight system that I have been looking for my whole life because modern medicine, they're like, well, it's this really heavy drug or nothing. Like we'll try antidepressants, but they're not really for that. And opiates do help with panic, but they're addictive and you'll adapt and you have to keep going up and then you'll be non-functional. I mean, what do you mean? Like the benzos you've got me on? Like, this is it. You really don't have anything. And they're like, no, I mean, there would be good money in it if they could find something, but they can't. It was there the whole time. And I figured if it killed me, it did me a favor and I didn't know how much to take. So I just went out looking for more. And of course, I found lots of them 
fruiting and I gathered them all up and I brewed them intuitively. I didn't know how to make it. So I really breathed and I asked the mushroom, I said, tell me what to do with you. And they told me, like, I heard them loud and clear. I was like, this is crazy. They're telling me. And I'll put, okay, you and you and you go in the water. Oh, you want to go? Okay, you, you. I'm like, I am really losing it. I'm nuts. And it turned out it was about 15 grams that I wound up putting in the water. It had they been dried, they were fresh. They weren't dry, they were fresh. And I was like, how much do I take? You know, I certainly don't drink this whole damn thing. And I just started taking it and I thought I'd feel something. And I kept taking more and more and more because I didn't know how long it would take. And the next thing I know, like I'm tripping balls. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, this is hilarious. I had a blast. And that's when I learned what it's like to live without panic and anxiety. And I woke up the next day free for the first time in my life. I knew what it felt like to be human and why we really came here. And I just cried. I was on the floor sobbing and crying, grieving for all of the years of my life that I didn't have this mushroom and relieved to wonder what I'm going to be now and do now that I have this in my life. What can I become? And in gratitude for this being and feeling its aliveness in my body and not knowing that feeling ever before of what it's like to have another living entity riding along beside you, knowing it for real. Like I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew it more than I knew anything else. And I wondered, would it stay? Did I always have to take it? Would it always be there? Would it, would it stay? And just grateful. And at the same time, feeling like I was home. And a lot of people say that when they do entheogens, they say it felt like home. This felt like home. I mean, just an amazing and beautiful and also deeply sad, you know, kind of commentary on what many people are experiencing, you know, I think in the world right now and, you know, such a testament to what nature does provide and has for us. And, you know, although I want to get into talking more about kind of ceremonying with this mushroom, as we'll be doing together in July, I do think it's important to talk a little bit about, you know, this mushroom in particular and why it's different, because I think it gets lumped together. Well, it either gets lumped together with other psychotropic type mushrooms that maybe work a little bit differently, or it gets, as you're saying, completely set aside and completely, you know, do not touch, do not <laughs> interact with. And so as you were saying, there really wasn't a lot of information out there. And I think you have slowly become the keeper and, you know, repository of a lot of information and a lot of just, I guess you could say field research that yourself and other people are doing on this mushroom. But can you tell us a little bit about how is this mushroom different than some of the other mushrooms that people might work with in this way? Well, most of the entheogens are one major drug in them that does what they do. Like this drug turns into that drug and that drug is the thing, you know, like psilocin into psilocybin or whatever. But we do have something similar and that's cannabis and cannabis has a lot of active ingredients in it that do different things. And there is some decarboxylation involved. It's a completely different chemical pathway to do that and done completely differently. So it's not foreign to us to know that you can have one plant, one mushroom that has many different types of drugs in it. And so I think because this is a complex mushroom people are less willing to deal with it. I know now why it has the reputation it has. And there are many, many, many reasons for that, that we probably don't have time to go into, but it is completely unwarranted. Some of it had to do with misogyny and the patriarchy. And some of it had to do with witchcraft and some of it had to do with the church. And some of it had to do with the industrial revolution. And some of it has to do with its complexity and some of it has to do with politics. Like there's no one thing. And this has happened over thousands of years, not just in the last hundred. So that on its own could be its own podcast. So I will just say that it is absolutely an amazing, kind, loving, soft, beautiful, entheogenic medicine. If you take anything, take this one and it's the best one to start with. 
simply because it's been so maligned and gaslighted and treated so badly. You must know there is something of value here that you should not be running from. It would be like if somebody told you your whole life that frogs have unbelievably razor sharp teeth and they will chase you down and don't let the hopping deceive you. They can jump 10 feet in one jump and they will land on your leg and rip your arteries out. If that's all you've ever been told and you see it hop and jump and your whole life, they're like, don't get near it. I'm telling you, like you would be terrified. And if you saw someone catch a frog and pick it up, you'd be like, oh my God, you're insane. So that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And then when we do see people talk about it or you read anything and Reddit is the worst. But if you go on some of these forums and you read trip accounts, they are overdoses. They are irresponsible, poorly made overdoses because they didn't either pay attention or learn from people who did have experience or it was just before we really had a lot of good internet stuff. And so people just took it like they did other mushrooms and just dried them and ate them. And it was just very irresponsible use that got sort of written down and then echoed over and over. And people would continue to take it and get these bad experiences. But every once in a while, someone happened to really vibe with it biochemically and not get the bad experience. And it's one of those things that is hailed as, well, if I can just take it enough or take it the right way, or if the mushroom likes me, I'll get the right experience. And it became this land of risk taking for, you know, young, 20-something male cowboy types, and certainly nothing that a regular, like, middle-income mom would ever touch. It's gotten here in a really bad way over thousands of years of really bad misuse or misinformation, and it's time to bring it back to where it belongs. It is one of the most gentle, beautiful, loving teachers. If you take just a minute and learn about it. It's really not that complex. If you can make macaroni and cheese, you can prepare it and you start small. So unless you have this disorder where you compulsively drink things, then I think you'll be okay. If you know how to use a measuring spoon, then you could really start small. There is no reason to jump in in large doses except smoking it. And I have yet to reach the top end of a smoking limit. I have yet to overdose and I try every time I hold ceremony, I start smoking it earlier and earlier and earlier. And I just hit it and smoke it and smoke it. It's not, I just get higher and higher, but I don't get sick. And we appreciate you doing this research on behalf, on behalf of us all. And it is. And I think sometimes, you know, such a good example of just the abject fear that we have of fungi in general, right? Like even if you're walking in the forest and you just see any random mushroom, it's amazing to me how many people just think I should probably not even touch that to the point of your childhood, right? Like that for some reason, we're not afraid to touch plants that way. We're not afraid to touch trees that way, but we somehow have gotten this idea in our collective consciousness that even so much as touching a mushroom that we don't know could kill us, right? That's and by design. <laughs> 100%. And in fact, we have talked about that on this season of the podcast, some of going back to how common entheogen use was for people around the world for generations and how really you're right through many, many layers over thousands of years, it was not only wiped out from our consciousness, but the fear has been, been inserted in its place. And I think there's time for some collective healing, which is why these mushrooms are just showing up in people's driveways and <laughs> they're hunting us down. Lots. They are going where we go and they're like, Hey, over here, look at me. <laughs> and they haven't left our collective consciousness, right? Everybody, these the images of this mushroom are everywhere, and they have stayed and hung around and waited for humanity to remember them, which I just think is so beautiful. And people write to me and they're like, you know, I've been a psychonaut my whole life, but for some reason, this mushroom has always been in the back of my mind, like it never left. I always knew it was waiting for me and my life 
was just clocking the time until I walked into it or met up with it or it came up and said, okay, now, but I've known my whole life. Like I run into people or they come to where I am, you know, where I'm speaking or holding ceremony and they tell me this or they find me on forums, you know, like I've been a psychonaut for 20 years, but I've always known. It's just like you said, it's always been there. And what I want people to know is ceremonying is you couldn't be more right. And now I know why. So if you want to talk about that, we can, or if you had other questions, we'll. Yeah, no, let's talk about that. Because if anybody watches your YouTube or the videos on your website, you'll see there are many, many different ways to work with this mushroom in a variety of different ways. But ceremonying is, you know, a very specific experience with these mushrooms for what I understand. And I'm looking forward to experiencing in this way. And tell me a little bit about how the mushrooms or how the ancestors came to you and, you know, suggested <laughs> that you be smoking it specifically within a ceremonial situation and how that unfolded. It was kind of in layers. One of the first times like second or third time that I was tripping on it. And they came through and told me the long story of our past and our history and who we used to be and how we used to be with in our entire relationship. They gave it all to me as I'm just sitting there and it blew me away. I mean, I was just crying and crying and crying. It took six months for me to start speaking that on videos because it was so overwhelming that every time I sat down in front of the camera to record, I would just cry. I couldn't get words out. I would just cry. And even when I tried to make the videos, I would cry. <laughs> so where I do talk about that sort of in my earlier videos, I'm crying and I edited the shit out of it because I'm just talking and crying, talking and crying. <laughs> but I was like, why would you tell me this? Because now it gives me this true need to get the word out and get everyone here and remembering and slurrying and spreading the spores. But you're not empowering me other than telling people I feel so helpless and powerless. And then when I saw Hamilton's pharmacopoeia's episode where he went up into the Carpathian Mountains and he smoked it with the people that were living there and his face was weird and he never talks about it. He's very stoic about it. And I don't know if it's because he just didn't get anything because you can't just hit it a couple of times. Like you have to smoke it really, really, really smoke it. And I don't know how much of it he smoked. So I don't know if that was him fighting to stay present for the camera because he was trying to leave to go be with the elders or if he was just not getting anything. But it made me be like, okay, he wouldn't do something like that legally, insurance wise, if it was something deadly or toxic or highly dangerous. I mean, I'm Amity Dreamer. I got to do it for the channel. And so I smoked it on camera and that's uploaded to the website. And it was fun and it was profound, but it opened a door none of the other ways that I used it opened and the mushroom voice was so much stronger, but it felt ancient and deep. It's hard to explain. It felt less about the mushroom and the land I was currently on or the mushrooms and the land that the mushrooms that I bought came from. This felt deeply wise and ancient and old. And it was profound. And I felt truly grateful to be in the halls of these entities and so I wanted to sit with them more and learn more. So I started smoking it more often and just sitting, not recording, just sitting with them and asking questions. And they would answer every question I asked. They were there answering them. And they go back further than our planet. They go back, way back. And they said a lot of things, one of which was, you can't separate us from you and your mental health. and what we used to be. And they showed me visually the parties and the humans and the ceremonies. So I said, okay, I need to do this. I need to experience it. So I talked a friend of mine into holding a ceremony up at his house. He's the man on the mountain. I refer to him sometimes. It was the most profound thing. I have to leave it at that because I don't have the words to describe what it did to me. And it echoed out in my life for a long time after that. And I couldn't believe how life affirming it was, but how it changed me. And it seemed like all of the things I thought 
when I was there at that ceremony, they came into my life really rapidly in a way that when I smoked it at home alone, it didn't. And so I went back into smoking and asked them and they said, we told you. That's what we were trying to tell you, that that's why you come together and the people and the humans and us and the dancing and the celebration, the drums and the fire. That's the magic formula. And (laughs) you were supposed to be able to do that. And that's how you design the lives you want. It's your destiny. It's your birthright, like as a human. And then I got it. Then I understood it. And I didn't know how to explain it to the humans because we have a different idea of sitting in ceremony with an entheogen. We think it's about us and tripping and healing our mental health and taking a list of things we want to talk about or work on. Right. And while you do trip and you do travel, it's not so much about the colors, although your vision does get very acutely fine and brilliant. It only makes what's there bigger, brighter, stronger, bolder, but also you travel with the elders and you heal yourself. Yes, but you heal the room, you heal the planet, you heal humanity. Then you time travel and you co-create with the mushroom entities and it's instantaneous. And when we're in ceremony, I walk you through that process where in real life, when we do it, there's no narration going on. There's just the drums start at sundown or maybe even at noon And everybody brought food and it's just a big party and the drums are starting and playing while people are just talking and you show up when you show up and the drums go through the night and people are dancing and they're trancing and they're eating and they're having sex and they're drumming and it's just humans being humans and it goes for hours and hours and hours. You drink the tea, you smoke it and you talk to the elders and people are passed out all over the ground and they're traveling and they're making motions with their hands and they're talking to the elders and other people are processing and talking in small groups and other people you know, in other groups over here talking about the visions and what the elders told them. And, you know, the next morning, six in the morning, people are just waking up and it's quiet. As the day goes on, people are talking about what happened last night, what the ancestors had to tell them. And everyone is different. And if we did this every solstice and equinox four times a year, can you imagine the kind of humans that would inhabit this planet, the kinds of healing? It would clean us out, clean out the cobwebs and the trauma and the fear and the panic and the pain, leaving the beauty in the heart, the compassion and empathy. And that connection to our fellow humans in solidarity, in unity of creation and co-creation, and this reverence for our mushroom elders and ancestors and best friends. And I, you know, it's so beautiful. I just think about, it feels like it's like this missing link, right? Of we know in a general sense how our ancestors lived, our ancient ancestors, right? And we know that they came together around the fire. We know that they came together on certain astrological important dates. So we know all of those things, but it's like, this is like the missing piece, right? There was another element that was allowing for that communication with the earth, with the mushrooms, with their ancestors, knowing that you know, when ancestors or when family members pass away, you're going to see them again. You're going to be in communion with them again. It just feels like a whole different world than certainly the one we're living in, but even the one that we imagine where they're just having a party around the fire. It's so much deeper than that. And like you say, the the co-creation of what's the world that we want to see? What world do we want to live in? What experiences do we want to have? It's just beautiful. And we're going to do it. It's just not going to be on that grand scale with this huge bonfire and, you know, 150 people. It will be, you know, a small group of 20 of us and I'll have to narrate it. We'll do songs and we'll stop and I'll let you know this is where this is. This is what we're doing with the energy in the room. This is where I want you to sort of put your focus in your inner. Please smoke some more, drink some more tea if you feel you can. I help teach you about when to drink the tea and then smoking it, how to titrate your dose so that nobody gets sick. We have yet to have anyone overdose. I mean, if you want to, you can, 
So far, no one has chosen to do that. Not <laughs> I was going to say, I can't imagine that would be a good time. And yeah, and I think those kinds of, you know, hearing that makes us probably feel more comfortable. And the reality is like, we didn't grow up in a culture that taught us how to do this. We don't have understandings around that. So having somebody that can guide us so that we can have this experience you know, with somebody who can help us through, you know, many of us like to learn these lessons on our own, <laughs> figure it out on our own and more power to you. But I think, you know, the power of being in a group, as you're saying, is just so much different and being able to experience that, like you say, the co-creation, right? That it doesn't, we know that community is important. We know that, you know, consciously and logically, but to experience it as a community, to experience it as a group and to realize, ooh, like things are a lot more flexible than I thought they were. I have a lot more input and can provide a lot more guidance to this experience than I thought possible. It's not happening to me or without me. It's happening with me. (laughs) Well, and I don't blame people for thinking that that's a bunch of bullshit because we have no frame of reference for living in that way because we are 150 years into a society whose goals are not keeping everybody safe and living a good life, but whose goals are extracting product and financial gain. And when you create a society like that, after 150 years, you start to see the results of that early on. But now it's foreign to us that anything outside of what we can physically touch and physically see it's just it doesn't exist because that's what we've been taught now and we've been made to believe that if it wasn't taught to you by someone with degrees and i have my degrees then it's not real and it's dangerous if you listen to somebody who has not been given certifications by a governmental agency now I'm raised in that world. I understand the value of science and data and what it can do for us. And if I have a heart attack, science can save my life and give me another 20 years. I love science. I love medicine. I love technology. If it weren't for technology, this wouldn't be happening. I am not anti-science. However, we are not in a black and white world. It's not either or. We can have science. We can have the data to learn how to proceed in a safe way. And also all the other things. And we've been taught that if you go outside of the certification system, then anybody can make claims and it's dangerous. And then they like to say the danger is that you're going to take a medicine that's not going to help you. I don't see that that's dangerous. I see that that's a waste of time and money. I see that that might make you feel a little bit of shame, but I don't see the danger in it. And the things that are truly dangerous, we know what they are. I don't know anyone that's going to take Datura all willy-nilly. I don't know anybody that's going to grab poison ivy and rub it all over their skin. If somebody's going to grab something foreign and use it, if they're going to take someone's word for it, that's a random stranger and buy something from them and ingest it without doing any research, they've got bigger problems than that one transaction. I don't know people who have harmed me. I know people that I know are making claims that aren't true. They're just giving out misinformation, but it's not hurting anybody. It's just going to make them waste some more time and money and feel a little less empowered, and they're still not going to lose weight, or they're still not going to gain the muscle mass, or they're not going to get helped with their ailment, and they're just going to move on to the next thing. And so there's a whole lot of gaslighting going on with this whole certification system and who is an expert and who isn't. And so I don't try to tell people I'm an expert. I just try to say, hey, look, this is what I'm learning. And these are the research I'm using to back it up. However, I'm going to go out on a limb and this is all hypothetical now. And then I'll say, this is what I think. And then I'll back up my reasoning on that. There's so much more going on in the world of medicine for our bodies on this earth that goes so far beyond the plants and the mushrooms. There's so much of our bodies 
and our existence that's outside of our physical body. And you never would have gotten me to believe that before this. And now I am absolutely certain that 20% of my existence is in my body. 80% of my existence is not. It's pretty amazing once you have those experiences, you, you really can't shift your perspective another way, right? <laughs> like once once you, you take that pill, you can't <laughs> untake it. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. And I think it's really incredible to me that for all the benefits of technology, and, and there are many, I think one of the things that, that we're seeing is a significant amount of gatekeeping, as, as you mentioned, or gaslighting or straight up censorship around this type of work, this type of healing, these types of medicines that there isn't a general, I guess you could say scientific consensus around. So, I mean, what, although it's, it's somewhat obvious, but you know, what's really driving you to continue sharing this in this way and in such a public fashion in this way and and helping to really collect this information and and share it. I have a Jesus complex. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I think that about myself sometimes because that next morning when I woke up from that first trip, there was no question in my mind, my life belonged to them now. And it wasn't in this subservient kind of woe is me. I'm nothing without you way. It was in this empowered, holy shit, like whatever you want of me, I will do it. You tell me what to do and I will do it because one, I wouldn't be here after today, if it weren't for you, but also if it did this for me, I can't imagine how many other millions of people that are on these drugs need this or people that are in fear and struggling and suffering and hurting that shouldn't be living in fear. If they could just take this like on a semi-regular basis, they would never have to live in a constant state of panic and anxiety. And it might make living in a capitalistic society a little bit easier to take. I didn't know where we were headed three years ago, <laughs> what a shit show it would be in, in 2022, <laughs> but I didn't know how true that would be. And so when I say that, like, I just, I live for the mushroom now, like what else could I do? I don't know any other way to live after that, but sometimes I'm like, oh, you just think you're all that, you know, I'm going to live for the mushroom. <laughs> and then I tell people I have a Jesus complex, but it's not like, I think I'm all that. It's that the mushroom is all that. And I have this mouth and this drive that just, they're pushing me every freaking day, relentlessly for three years now. June will be the third year of my channel, starting my channel. And I just, it's insane the amount of energy I have every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, I got these five videos I want to make. And I got this podcast to do, and I'm going to build this website and get ready for the ceremony. And did I get my plane ticket? And I have so much to do in a day and I never feel overwhelmed by it all. I'm excited by it. Every day I wake up excited to do this. If I couldn't do this anymore, I would say that I would be lost, but I don't think so. I think I would just take the mushroom and hold ceremonies, tell people to come, come play. But I can't imagine there would be a day in my life going forward that I wouldn't be dealing with this mushroom in some way. Yeah. And I mean, Let's talk about the ceremony a little bit. I know you touched on it some, but you know, for the people who are coming to a ceremony or who are thinking about, you know, doing a ceremony themselves, what should they expect? (laughs) What happens (laughs) during the ceremony? When you get there, you know, everyone gets comfortable. We smudge and we all have our drums. I get there and I talk to you, I explain to you what we're doing and the order of everything and what you can expect and how it's all sort of going to go down. And then we do some sound work. I explain what a drum circle is, how a drum circle works. We talk about some fears and some things people may have about it. And, you know, people are out of beat and all that stuff. And then I have a really large shamanic drum and we do some sound healing with everyone. And then I explain to you dosing, how dosing works, safe dosing, what you should expect and when, and then we bring people up one at a time. You take your first dose of the tea. I show you how to use the hookahs and we start smoking it and we start drumming. And I lead you through each song, if you want to call it that. And we have a task in each song 
And every time we stop drumming, we smoke some more. Uh, we wait 20 minutes between each dose of tea. You know, you can figure out like how you feel if you want to drink any more tea. I tell you what to look for, the first signs of what to look for to say, okay, that's, you know, no more tea for you. Just smoke it. And then that's it. I mean, that's how we go. We continue to move through the night that way. I have some things that we do as far as helping you learn how to work with the medicine. So at some point we stop with the drums and we do some guided work because a lot of times you can journey and travel with another entity that shows up and you may just think, oh, I'm supposed to just pay attention. I'm just supposed to watch what happens to me. I teach you how to be interactive with it, that it's a conversation. You know, you're not watching a show. It's a conversation. And at some point, I would say about three hours in, people sort of split off into being really excited and in sort of like a trance state that they're vertical and talking and they want to eat because iotinic acid is a, a flavor enhancer. But also, I mean, it enhances all your senses. But food, like dates, tastes like candy. It's crazy. And so Go to self have dates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so some people will nibble, you know, you do a lot of energetic work, it'll make you hungry. But some people are like talking to themselves and making gestures with their hands because they're tranced out and they're talking with the elders and they're experiencing. And I've only had one person have a bad time of it because they had migraines all the time and they had a migraine in the ceremony. And I felt really bad for them, but they had a helper there in case that happened. I had one person feel nauseous. And so I said, yeah, don't drink any more tea, but eat some food. And then about 15 minutes later, they felt fine. And those are the two negative experiences. Other than that, people that didn't pay attention to the cannabis thing, they're like, oh, I didn't think it'd be a big deal. They didn't get anything the whole time. So they were a little disappointed, but they were like, yeah, it's my fault. I just, I didn't stop smoking cannabis. Yeah. But yeah, than, and talk about that real quick. Just you know that we don't that know. There's we don't seems know. To be a I, thing. I don't know. I can't figure <laughs> it out. I just know that it must be there's some crossover and gating in the cannabinoid system there. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I don't know where. There's definitely some gating going on, but I can tell you that some people who can smoke cannabis that don't do it very often will drink the tea, smoke some Amanita, and then bump it with cannabis and take off and say that it was a completely different sort of experience. So clearly they're tapping into similar receptors, but I think cannabis is greedy with those receptors. So it's an oil-based thing. So you hang on to it for a long time where you don't with, with Amanita. So I think that between the two, cannabis is always going to have a lock on those receptors and it takes a good month or so to get it out of your system, to free it up for Amanita. But I can tell you a lot of people that go through this process wind up not going back to cannabis and replacing whatever they got that they needed cannabis for, Amanita did. And they say that they think better. They're much more clear-headed and sharp and focused. And that's the ibotenic acid. And, and there is some new research about muscimol and the GABA system helping you learn and retain, and that it has more of a healing effect along those pathways, whereas it seems like cannabis can have a dulling effect. So not everybody, but I mean, I know that there are some mental illnesses that people can take Amanita for that they were medicating it with cannabis and Amanita is far better for them daily trying to function in the world. Not everyone. I know some people with uh, some schizo affective stuff. I think cannabis, they, it handles that a lot better. And I know that people that talk to me that do have issues with some schizo affective stuff that while they enjoyed Amanita and it did take a lot of the anxiety away, it didn't seem to take away the otherness that can happen with schizoaffective disorders and the unrealness of it because Amanita can actually, I mean, when you're dealing with entities all the time, once you use it, like it can take a, a situation where you're not sure what's real and what isn't, and it could make mm -hmm. it worse on a long-term basis. So 
this is just anecdotal information. I'm not a doctor. I am not a clinician. I'm merely in that position to be Amanita Dreamer where people come to me and they tell me. And then I get to then sort of be this collector of information that I can then give back that I could very well just be getting very skewed information. Maybe after this podcast, people will send others information that it helped them in this other capacity because all the information helps. And I would really like to get a really thorough survey, but I'm waiting to launch it until I look at more questions to ask. It'll be a long survey and I would like to run it for a long time and start to get what could actually be good, valid numbers, you know what I mean? And and information from it. So yeah, it'd be really valuable for people. And I know that that's something that's been done, you know, for years with psilocybin and, you know, other type of plant and and fungi medicine. So to have that for Amanita would be, would be amazing. And, you know, with the cannabis, so it sounds like if you're really wanting to do a ceremony with Amanita, you need just, you know, at least a few weeks just to be safe to have the cannabis out of your system. Otherwise it's possible that you'll just feel, you just feel like you didn't get anything from the Amanita. Yeah, right? you'll work and work and work on smoking and drinking. And you just <laughs> won't really feel much of anything. Although just about everyone says after the fact that they know they're different. They don't know how they're different, but they know they're different and things are different in their body and they see the world differently and something happened, but they don't seem to have that transcendent travel with those eyes to know what that was and not just a few weeks, a good month, at least a month off of cannabis. Uh, Get it completely out of your system. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that people should be aware of as far as preparing themselves before? No, it's actually such a gentle, loving, giving experience. It's not like psilocybin that can have a really rough come up. It's such a subtle come up that most people don't even know that it's happening until they stand up and then they're like, oh, whoa, okay, wow. Okay, I'm going to sit down. (laughs) Or they try to talk and they realize they're not putting sentences together. And then they're like, wait a minute, am I high? (laughs) Yeah, I think you are. So it's very different than with psilocybin then, you know, and those are the only experiences you have is with these entheogens that there's this blast off effect, you know, and then this place where you are seeing all these colors and all that. It's not even, it's so gentle and so loving. It is a heart centered and there's research about the neurons in the heart. You know, it's got its own brain. It's got Mm -hmm. its own functioning neurons. And there are, well, there's at least one, potentially three actives in Amanita that affect the heart that go to the heart (laughs) and can affect the heart. And I don't understand it yet, but the fact that some actually do go to the heart, I knew it. I mean, you can feel it when you take it. It's the number one comment I get from people early on in the ceremony is, oh my God, it's so loving. Oh my God, it's so loving. And I'm like, see, they're like, why was I afraid? You know, damn it, society. This is just the opposite (laughs) of fear. This is so beautiful. It's so gentle. It's so loving. It's like, now you see why I'm doing this. And it's, <laughs> I feel like I'm yelling into the abyss. It's like, trust me, like it really, really is. There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> well, and that's a good point because I certainly have talked with a handful of people, you know, ahead of this ceremony. And I think who either, you know, haven't had experience at all with any kind of entheogen or have worked with psilocybin mushrooms only and are not familiar with, with Amanita. And I think have some nervousness or, you know, or fear altogether about I'm going to be in this situation with other people that I don't know, and I don't know how this is going to affect me. And so maybe it would just be better if I didn't do it. So there's a difference between fear and respect. And I want to challenge what they are calling fear, because if you don't have nervousness going into any entheogenic experience, you're going to be one of those people that has a really sad story to tell later at some point, like given enough time, it ain't going to go so well for you. (laughs) But if we lived in a land where there was a king and, and he was a benevolent king, and one day the queen was walking through our town and 
we all ran out to see her, we would get all nervous and excited and there's no way we would speak. Like we would watch her walk past. And if she stopped and said, the king requests this entire town's presence in court on this day, please be there, wear your finest clothing. I mean, that's all you would think about. And then the day of, the excitement would turn to terror of, oh my God, we're going to be in the presence of the king. It's not that you think the king is going to hurt you. It's respect for being in the presence of greatness. And I want to challenge you to ask you, what is it that you are afraid of? If I'm telling you it's not going to hurt you, what kind of greatness do you think you're about to walk into? And who is it that's great? It might be you. What if it was? <laughs> what if? <laughs> and, you know, what if, what if we do change the world, right? Like, what if? <laughs> it's such a big thing to think about sometimes. And, and I think we miss those experiences where we could find out what we're really capable of. We change the world. It's one of the things we do in the ceremony. And my goal this year is to teach what we're doing and how we're doing it. And then I challenge them to now take it to your community and do it again and again and again. And a hundred people can become a thousand, can become 10,000, can become a hundred thousand. Inside of a couple of years, we could have hundreds of thousands of these ceremonies going on around the world. That's enough to tip the scales. Absolutely. And it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to do, to create and to make it happen. And it's easy. Yeah. And what do you think we get back as humanity and our culture in this culture we do live in now? What do you think comes back to us as we start doing more of these ceremonies? Healing, peace, contentment, harmony, ease of existence. It's not greatness. It's our birthright to live without everything being a freaking problem. It's our birthright to wake up and go, oh, I get to feed my animals. Oh, I get to watch the sunrise. <gasps> Today is the day that I'm going to meet my friend. That's just a normal way to wake up and to sit with whatever you're drinking and for that to be your morning ritual. And to see someone that you care about and have them sit with you in that moment and to just have peace and to get up and start feeding the animals and clean up something from the night before with peace and then go outside and work and, and sweat a little bit and then clean up and, and walk or drive or get on Marta or the subway and go have coffee with your friend without freaking out about it, without worrying about anything. It's a way of living where regardless of the shit that's swirling around you, it's no longer a problem. And even if it sucks or hurts, it's still not a problem. It's weird to say that. I know that's easy to say, but like there's still times in my life where I'm in pain consistently for weeks on it. There's still times in my life where I think I'm going to have to make grave decisions to cause a lot of pain for a lot of people if I'm going to take care of myself. And the thought of making those decisions makes me sick to my stomach. There are times that I have to grieve deeply because the other option would be to cling and violate boundaries. And I can't. The problems aren't gone. They're just not a problem. And we really can live that way even in late stage capitalism. I think that's the point. I think a lot of us have, you know, kind of arrived at this moment where we're like, we know what the problem is. We see the world that we're living in. It's obvious to us now, but what is the bridge to get to something else? How am I ever to get there? How is anyone ever to get there when we're over here? And it really feels like this mushroom is standing there in the middle, right? And saying, we can show you, we can help you get over that bridge and get to that other side and see the world in a different way and see how humans lived for millennia. And you may <laughs> not be able to live in that sense of peace every day because this mushroom is the power mushroom. There's a reason that it's, you know, the Mario mushroom. It gives you the power to look in, at your life and say, I need to march today. 
I will be arrested today if I have to be, but this is what I have to do. This is where I'm called. And then it's not a problem. It's your drive and it's your focus, or it's, I'm going to express more milk and I'm going to give it to anyone that needs it right now. It doesn't have to be a problem. It can be your joy to change the world, even if it's a violent change. Even if you get cracked over the head and wind up in the hospital, you'll wind up with a smile on your face going, fuck yeah, bitches, I am making history. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like it, yep. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy road. We're not in an easy time in history, but it no. doesn't have to be a problem because you will be moving forward with solidarity with yourself, with peace with yourself, with movements that you're choosing in the situation you're in with a sense of peace. And empathy and compassion, not hate. You know, you can look at the other side and say, I can't imagine how much you're hurting and suffering. However, I can't allow you to move forward with the choices you're making. Not when it comes to this line. You can't cross this line. I'm sorry. And you can sit in that feeling and that compassion and that empathy because it's the heart mushroom. So I'm not saying this from some spiritual, like, high, holy place where my life is so perfect and easy. It's way, way better than it used to be. And not because it's on the back of other people's suffering. It's on my back of my suffering. And then when I do get in a place where I don't have to suffer, it gives me so much more room to give to those around me to create a little bit more that I can give to more people around me or to you today here. I mean, that's all we can do, you know, show up and give where we can, but we can't do that if we're suffering, you know? Yeah. It's such a, a beautiful distinction. And I, and I think that is the point. There are so many people that just feel so depleted and so empty and, you know, that there, there is nothing to give. And yet the requirement to give continues <laughs> endlessly sometimes. And so to feel like there's some hope and that the earth provides in such a beautiful way to help us meet the rigors, meet the requirements, <laughs> meet the needs of this time that we live in that we chose to be here for, I just think is, is such a beautiful and, and special opportunity. And I want those who are listening to keep this in mind. There was a time where the numbers of people that are at a march today was the entire population of a country in the past. We've never had this many people on planet Earth. There's what, 8 billion, it's insane how many souls are here doing work. Yeah. Like this was the party. This was the <laughs> thing we all came here for. We invited ourselves <laughs> to the big it, show. So now we've, we've got it's to in, do it's it. in our alignment because we've anchored so much energy here that be careful what you think because you're going to make it. The density mm -hmm. here is intense right now. The momentum is intense, the wishes and the thoughts and the hopes and the begging and the dreaming and the pushing and the feeling by billions is insane. So if ever there was a time to use this mushroom journey and think and create, it's now because the momentum is with us and it happens with the quickness now. We are supported now and whatever you want to create, you'll make it. So be careful what you ask and know what it is that you want. If there's anything that you go into ceremony knowing, just know that. That's really the only thing you should bring. Prepare to know truly, like, is that really what you want? Like, <laughs> is, it, is it really what you want? You want that house and that car and all the bills that are going to go with it. Okay, but just know that, know that if you take that on, then there's other things coming with it. Right, right. Well, I mean, I could sit here and ask you... <laughs> 500 more questions as the afternoon goes on, but I hope that we have at least piqued your interest about working with this mushroom, whether coming to ceremony with Amanita Dreamer and myself in July or somewhere else or in your own community. It's certainly a medicine that is needed by so many of us at this moment in time. And of course, I'll, I'll share all that information in the show notes so that you can find it, but let people know where they can connect with you, what you have to offer, where, where your videos are. So that so they due can to find censorship, you. I got kicked out of YouTube. So I still upload there a lot of mental health stuff and spiritual stuff, 
but the bulk of the mushroom information is at amanitadreamer.net. So if you want to know about the mushroom, go there. I have my calendar there. Anything you want to know how to get involved in the community, everything is there. Etsy took all of my products. I make products with Amanita, but they censored that too. So I built my own store. That's mushroomvoice.com. And then I have a community because the censorship started over on Patreon. So now I made that website. <laughs> so now I'm off Patreon and that is community Mushroom Voice. So you can just go to Mushroom Voice and there's a banner at the top. If you want to come hang out, we do Zoom meetings. We have three a week. So if there's anything you want to talk about regarding entheogens or entheogenic use or mental health or growth or healing or trauma or PTSD or being neurodivergent or having ADD or using this mushroom and all that, we have themed Zooms. And yeah, right now we're at three a week. We're going to start adding more as I go. I hope to have at least a Zoom meeting every day so that no matter where you are in your recovery and healing, I know it can be isolating and weird to use entheogens still, you know, and it's hard to find people to hang out with. So that's what we're trying to create. Mostly Amnita Dreamer on YouTube, amnitadreamer.net, Mushroom Voice. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to meeting you in person in two months and hanging out here in Montana, along with everybody else who's going to be joining us. At the time of this recording, we have a couple of spots left around our fire for the ceremony. And if you'd like to join us, please do. And thanks again for being here and sharing all of your beautiful wisdom about this mushroom. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Wow. Okay. Are you ready to meet the Amanita muscaria mushroom for yourself? We didn't discuss it during our interview, but if this mushroom isn't already easily growing in your backyard, you can order it online from sources that Amanita Dreamer has vetted. She has a list and links on her website that you can check out in the show notes, along with lots and lots of videos on how to prepare and use it. This mushroom is 100% legal in the United States and has never been scheduled as a drug, so it's not difficult to source. And of course, if you're feeling drawn to experience a ceremony with Amanita Dreamer, myself, and this mushroom, there are still a few spots available to join us here in Montana on July 8th. Be sure to check out the link to that in the show notes. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here on the earth at this moment in time. And I'll see you back here for a final wrap up of season two next Tuesday. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.